The Any Day Cookware set is amazing. We've designed our own called the IO line. It is matte black. It is extremely good. I've been challenged by Uno to see if I can remember what's in our Any Days in our studio currently right now. I would say in Studio One in the back, I believe there's two containers of rice and I can't remember anything else. I think those are all correct. We've got some pickles from this week's episode of Dinner Time Live, and then some leftover onion soubise that you also made in the Any Day. Nice organic plugs I of do what I can. our show on Netflix. Give Any Day a try, and you can get 10% off with your code DAVE when you visit cookanyday.com. So go check it out. And uh, also, before we get on to the show, we have an episode on Tuesday. This is coming up Monday. So tomorrow is the episode six, possibly last episode ever of dinner time live with yours truly david chang with our fact checking internet internet explorer chris yang (laughs) fine and uh we won't tell you who the guests are Mm -hmm. because it could be a sad day we gave it our shot we gave it our best and uh, we'll just leave it up to the gods if this is it we had a good run see what happens we tried our best and (laughs) i am cooking my ass off tomorrow i really am cooking quite a bit and uh, I was told by some of the producers, a lot of it's not done live. <laughs> he's taking that. He's taking that bit of constructive feedback in stride. I only cooked from 10 a.m. to 5:30 p.m. yesterday. Straight. If you could just do a little more cooking, that would be great. Yeah. So basically, guys, I have one day of rehearsals. Okay, I get one day to recipe test and to time. That's it. That's all. That's all we're allotted. But that's my recipe test. We're going to see what happens when we go live. And I was told you're not going to do enough cooking live. Well, <laughs> it's not my fault. It's not my fault, folks. Anyway, episode six, Dinner Time Live on Netflix. Go tell everybody. We appreciate your support. Thank you to everyone that has been watching it. And if you haven't seen it before, go check out all the previous five episodes. First one starring Steve Young and Rashida Jones. And keep on getting better and better. On to the show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dumb Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. All right, we're joined with Chris Yang. We got Nuno on the call. We're going to do a three things dinner time live recap, an Ask Dave, and a how-to menu. So three things. There's been a lot of talk about smartphones, right? How social media and smartphones has led to increased rates of depression and, you know, poor body image and self-esteem amongst teenagers, particularly like teenage girls. It's also been just a time suck for people like Yuno Lee and Chris Ying. Just <laughs> okay. can't get off their phone. Okay. Pot calling the kettle black a little bit here. You know, when I say, when I, when I say people like <laughs> them, guy, man. you know who guy. you are. I mean, just like you have, you have a conversation <laughs> with people and they don't even look up to talk to you. Uh-huh. Sure, buddy. Sure, buddy. As somebody who sat next to you in meetings and has looked Dave over at you. talking about right now? This is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Just, Unbelievable, me. man. Oh, my gosh. This idea of smartphones and the idea that it may be making our lives worse, not better, I don't know. I will see if you, give you a couple of options. When you go down to the masters, you're not allowed to bring out your phone. And I think for every attendee there, the 100,000 plus that visit the masters that won the lotto to go and eat cheap, delicious food and watch golf and drink a lot of cheap beers, you can't bring out your phone and mm. you will be banned, right? So it's like going to a, 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 a the mid-90s, right? Uh, or really, honestly, any time before... Smartphones, I got to say, it's extremely refreshing. Um, I do believe that there's going to be times in the world where, uh, like in the Westerns, where you're supposed to check in your your phone, just like checking your guns before you got into town. You're seeing that with comedy shows and some concerts at large. I think that's going to happen more and more. I think that people are going to really appreciate the present and the now. But as examples, you know, besides those and some restaurants, I mean, we... Co when Co was open first open it was notorious for banning photos and the reason we were banning photos wasn't because of photos themselves it's because they were being taken on tripods the camera phone did not yet exist and there's something nice about being in a vacuum of information not to the degree of North Korea per se but there's something nice about being in a vacuum of information compared to the rest of the world 
And I think I've had more and more conversations with people that have been getting those dumb phones. It's something I'm contemplating more and more. Do I get one of these dumb phones? So there was a cellular outage last week. I didn't even know because we were so in the weeds with this Netflix show that uh, I'm sure people were losing their minds. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sad if there was an electromagnetic storm that just wiped out Mm-hmm. all cell phone usage cell phones specifically oh you want to keep the you want to keep civilization going but no more cell phones or maybe you don't <laughs> yeah you know it's one of the reasons why I, I i i we have this continuing conversation i'm sure we'll do a larger show about it why i think that new york when i when i lived in new york it was arguably the best time to live in new york or maybe the last best time to live in new york from the mid 90s on to 2008 so 1999 to, to 2009 around there because everything was undiscovered. You couldn't find anything. You couldn't get information. There's so much to explore. It was sort of awesome. You know, I, I got to say, living in New York pre-smartphone was sort of awesome. It was just a lot. I'm not just saying it. New York was just better when I was there. Not because I was there, but you could smoke in, smoke in bars, <laughs> which is crazy, and restaurants. Okay, okay. bars I remember. What was I remember as a kid being going to a restaurant there saying like, "Do you want the smoking or non-smoking section?" I bet you you know you don't remember this at all, right? Like you have no recollection yeah. of the smoking and non-smoking section. What went down in a smoking section of a restaurant, Dave? Do you just have an ashtray? You can smoke cigarettes the whole meal. You're, yeah, you, you just sit there. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. at, at like, my answer is yes. Pre whatever would Momofuku yes. have been like? You could have walked into Momofuku and like. If, if Momofuku opened in the 80s or something? No, we were. That's yes, you, but wild. people would be smoking cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Remember, on airplanes, That's you used so to smoke cigarettes. Wild, man. I mean, there are no airplanes in existence anymore, but there used to be That's a little right. in the, in the armrest, a little ashtray. Can you imagine you're smoking? <laughs> and I, uh, and I, my, what my greatest claim to fame is I smoke <laughs> on an Egyptian your air flight. Claim to fame. In 1995, 1995, I I, I got to smoke a smoke a cigarette on air, and actually use the ashtray in the armchair. That's so amazing. Armrest. I I shit you not. That's sort of my my claim to fame. I just think New York was cooler back then. There were doors that you didn't even know existed. That and now, sort of everything's at your disposal. Same to Japan, right? Japan with its own antiquated way of like you know the zip code system of date the building was created, then like. The year this emperor was, <laughs> it's, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It was down, downright impossible trying to find anything in Tokyo. Now it's really easy because of the smartphone. So in some regards, it's been clearly good. Yeah, clearly it's been amazing. But I think for the, the time that it sucks from my life, I'm not opposed to having time away from it. So I, I was looking at that, the light phone or something like that, mm. that only does email and text. And I got to say that if they allowed a couple small apps on there, like Uber or smartphones or um, not social media per se, but getting picked up from the airport. And if they didn't have group text messages or text messages show up as green. If you could stay blue, if you could stay a blue bubble and have this light version of the phone, you would do it. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm close with Aziz Ansari and he's been rocking the, the flip phone for quite some time. And I think he's better for it because he really was so attached to his phone. And now he, he's created some mechanisms in his life to prevent him from, you know, getting access to it all the time. It is sometimes really problematic when you're out with him. You know, for example, if everyone sort of ride share to a restaurant and then is going home, he can't get an Uber, he can't get a Lyft. Right, and then he can't. You can't just like split it with him and ask him to Venmo you. <laughs> he just pays you cash yeah. for a ride. <laughs> no, or or it's just like, hey, can you get order me, me a car? I mean, a that's, car? You that's know? only problematic for you everybody. Me, can else. you order that's me a car? Problematic for him. Yeah, and he has a he has a a smartphone, but he only whips it out like at yeah. the end of the day, you know, and it doesn't have. I totally, I mean, you you thinking about getting it, Aziz having it, you know, that, that to me sort of negates the point of, well, I need my smartphone for productivity. 
There's two very productive people who are talking about or are foregoing having the smartphone. Do you buy into I this is the this is the sort of pseudoscience thing, the one pseudoscience thing I buy into. And I do think that like the dopamine effects of just like constant little hits of social media is real. And that like you don't you it just it just brings you into this sort of low level weird dopamine buzz all the time. And like that's what that's what kills me about having the phone. Yeah, I just don't think the human brain or psyche was meant to sort of have this radical transparency at the world at large, right? Which only increases fear of missing out and social anxiety. I mean, as a teenager, I can't imagine how hard it must have, must be for teens today, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I see people today being like, oh my God, I, they had mm-hmm. dinner and I wasn't invited, like, just on a social media. No, it's, and I've also been part of these groups where it's nothing, there's nothing, um, how should I say? nefarious about it maybe there's only six people that are allowed and you know it's like at some point people are having dinner because not every dinner can be a dinner with every single person and if you broadcast that even though it's unintentional you may be hurting someone's feeling and i think that's way worse in high school where you're like it was much better to know that i didn't get invited <laughs> or just to not party. know about the party to not know about the party <laughs> you know all of the other just kids not know about it too. yeah yeah but now it's like oh I'm literally the only person that's not at this party. That's that's just too much information that you shouldn't really be able to. I mean, deal that's with. a very that's a very sweet so, way of looking at how phones are, are are sort of destroying our interpersonal relationships. I'm I'm more just selfishly thinking it can't be good for my brain that I just need to look at like an attractive girl hitting a golf ball every 35 <laughs> seconds in my phone. Like that can't be good for my brain. Dude, I don't know. That's what my up, discover page feeds me, man. And I just open man. it up and that's all I see. You know what Noel had to clean please, up on me? God, what is this? And this had nothing to do. This? I was like, please, I was God, like, what are so you talking excited. about? <laughs> I swear to God, because I didn't know what was happening either. But the all I had all these uh, <laughs> porn bots attaching my name <laughs> Wait, to like ever attaching your name to everything. Like I, if you just do the the button on mm-hmm. Instagram mm-hmm. where you yeah, can yeah, see yeah. your yeah. name, whatever, and photos, <laughs> I was just getting spammed with, and I was like, what is happening here? What is happening here? Yeah, man. So I needed Noel to help me. Like, like it's, it's extremely you. embarrassing. Uh, if anybody wanted to tag me on Instagram, they would go there and see like, what is? Oh, going you were just tagging on? like million. Oh, because people are just trying to like use your SEO to sell porn, basically. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the Venn diagram overlap is with me SEOs and porn, but clearly, you know, the Russian bots feel like there is. And um, I hate to let everyone down, you know, just as a side note, in college, we were um, after college, really, like the beginning of the internet, right? The late aughts, early aughts. My friends and I used to sign people, sign each other up for porn sites. So you could just spam, spam people with emails all the time. Are we the only only people people for porn sites? But definitely anytime I came across like a sign-up sheet that was going to spam people, I would put my friend Lior's name in there. Yeah, 100%. No, specifically really embarrassing <laughs> You could ruin space. a life like that now. <laughs> you just like, you open somebody up to that kind of thing, like you, their identity is gone instantly. Like you could ruin lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, back then we didn't know any better. We were just like in our mid-20s. We just thought it was funny. Maybe that's why. Maybe this is your you friends know. finally getting back at you. They're just like, I'm going to show that David Chang, man. Yeah. I'm going to attack, attach him to every porn bot. Anyway, I, I'm just saying that I'm really deliberating. I haven't done yet about getting a smartphone. I will say on the new iPhone, which I did not realize, you can have two phone two oh, phone numbers on your new simultaneously. iPhone. Simultaneously. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I used to have that. Not I used to carry two phones because I used to lose one phone. In fact, I, I think I had more than two because I used to lose so many. I was just so f- forgetful. I used to throw phones away you in the kitchen in the garbage. all the time. You know, at least two phones have been thrown away in the garbage. It, it's maddening. I've lost phones in a Amtrak mm-hmm. toilet, an airplane toilet. You know, it's been it's not been a good run for me. So I just always needed a backup just in case. Anyway, now that I'm down to one phone, I've carried two phone numbers, and one of those phone numbers that was the old phone number. Is, was a Google voice number. I got an email from, I got a text message from Uncle Ted Serranos, you know, co-CEO of Netflix. And I was so embarrassed that it was the blue, it shows up oh, as yeah, a green. Oh yeah, the Google voice number. You sent back a Google bubble. voice. Yeah, that is. 
and he, he got a green response and I'm texting with it to, to, you know, as a green, and I, <laughs> I'm so ashamed of myself. So I literally was like, Oh no. And I'm not crazy. Legit. You know that people look. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I look at it as when I get a green text message, it's like the equivalent of I'm in somebody's house and I like see, I'm like, Oh, I accidentally opened this closet where I found all their crazy kink stuff. (laughs) This is like a a subculture person. I know. Yeah. I mean, it tells a lot about the individual that has. Yeah. They're into some weird shit, right? Or Samsung. (laughs) I don't necessarily weird, but it's a, it's a, it's like a defiance. They're they're living an alternative lifestyle. And that's not what I wanted uncle Ted to see about me. Cause he had an old number of mine and you text, you messaged him back with it. Yeah. And, and, and so, so, so no, I messaged him back as in, in, in Google voice. And that night I was so horrified that he found out you were poly streamerous. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, shit, what do I do here? And then I remember that somebody told me like a year or so ago that you could have two phone numbers on the new iPhone. So I Googled it and then he said, you could. So I ported over my Google voice number, which was my old iPhone number. And now I can. Now you got to Now you have to find out. Now you got to text Ted with the blue, blue and be like, bubble all I'm, over I'm, again. I'm a normal guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just so you. So like every five, seven years, I always change my number. Uh, yeah. I've noticed that because I have a lot of built up old numbers in my phone. Yeah, we have yeah. Five, around five years. I changed my number. It's a natural culling process <laughs> of your social circles. Oh, and by the way, I just want can I just say this? If there's any, if there's any of my friends listening to this who are green bubbles and want, are, are feeling the need to explain why you have a green bubble, like I don't want to know. I don't. I don't. I know you all have your reasons. I mean, what's I crazy know. is most of the world is green bubbles. <laughs> That's fine when you're most of the world, but not here. You know what I mean? When I'm in Korea. It, yeah. and it always All is like some stance cool. and you say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you can't do this. You can't use iMessage and group message. Like, no, 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 no. But I can use WhatsApp and we can do this. And I have this plugin, this workaround to do this. And I'm like, well, okay, I don't want any of that. But now at the point is whenever, whenever it's the green bubble, it's always inevitably mm-hmm. a text that message. That ruined like, the blue the for everybody. Yeah. You, 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 you peed in the pool. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. greened the blue pool, man. Yeah. 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 I didn't realize that I, I don't like giving updates to my number. And the reason I changed my number, I can't remember why, but I think it was, I just, I'm trying to always reduce people in my life. Well, I will say that each expand. time you've done it, you've never told me that you and, did it. <laughs> so I just end I don't know how I end up with the yeah. new number, but you've never alerted me. So what happened? I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm letting everyone know this is how it happens. So I would always have a Google voice number or an older phone keeping that number. And I would hold on to that phone for about, you know, some time or I'd leave it, you know, in my apartment and I check it once a day, once a week, once a month or whatever. And that's how I would filter out. The that's what I it would be. I would message the old life. phone and then you would say something like, oh, message me on this number here. But you would make no, there's no email. There's no mass text message that goes out saying like, hey, everyone, it's Dave. I'm changing my number. <laughs> you put it, you made us all go through the filter. Yeah. Yeah, it's a filtering that's process. I'm so uh, mad. I have to hear about this now. This is such bullshit. I don't want to be the asshole that sends out a mass text. It is like, presumptuous. I'm uh, changing my number. No, it's too. It's already asinine, and you know, I'm not trying to do it. I'm just literally trying to do it to hmm. be an endorsement and and to live a, 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 a yeah a, li- a life a simpler life. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's why. That's why I, I suggest other people to change your number if you can. Now you have two numbers, and you can now filter out your not right. life too. Nice life hack, right? And when you do see, and here's the thing: when you do see the person that you have not given your new, so, some people you'll bump into, be like, "Oh yeah, to- I totally forgot to like update." Or do-. and other people, you're like, "Hey, I've been trying to reach out to you." I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> change my number." <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my phone was stolen. I'm so sorry. I lost my all my contacts. I, I uh, yeah. My my favorite use now, which I don't know if you can use it anymore, is when you do a text message and you get a text message and you don't know who it's from, but clearly it's from somebody that you're friends with, and for whatever reason it could be an update or whatever. It happens occasionally, and you're like, who is this person? Then you Google the. I always Google the zip code to see <laughs> the area code. Yeah, yeah, where yeah, the person's yeah, yeah, from yeah. first, right, right. So yesterday I figured out it happened to me yesterday because I'm doing the switch. And anyway, I was like, who's from 
South Carolina. I'm like, oh, I know who it is. So, that, But oftentimes it's embarrassing when you have to say, hey, great. Somebody sends you a text message. It's whatever, whatever. They have pertinent information about you. So you know it's not a spam bot. And you know you have to respond. So you respond because there's no, it's just the number. And inevitably it's something like, hey, uh, Great to talk to you. Great to hear from you. Changed my phone number and I don't have the contacts loaded up. Mm, May I ask yeah, who this awkward. is? It's so awkward. awkward. All right. Inevitably, that person that's getting that response <laughs> feels lesser of a human being. I had a, uh, I had a hor- this is a little slice, slice of life moment. I've had this exact horrible experience because I used to be in a real habit of not entering people into my contacts. They would text me. I would just have a number. It would just be there. It would be a friend. <laughs> no, that's just because you have a photographic lazy. memory. I was just very lazy. And I don't know. It was a little bit of a dickish move too. But then I would have these group texts, some people being in my phone, others just numbers. And I remember being there with a friend who I had known at this point for years, literal years, maybe going on eight or nine years. And we're sitting there in the situation and they're, they're like, oh, hey, just text the group and see blah, blah, blah. So I bring out the group text, not thinking, and I'm texting this thing. And this person sitting next to me, who I've known now for eight or nine years and is a very close friend, is like, am I not in your phone? I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, why is my phone number just a number on your phone? And I'm just like, oh, uh, I, I, uh, new phone. Who's, who, who this? Like, it's, you got the, it's very bad. And last thing about phones, uh, this whole text group chat thing, I have to say that I have removed myself from almost all of them. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into texting, texting friends. It's too much work. I'd much rather have a phone call. That makes me a boomer, I guess. But this whole text thread, I've literally called many of them. There are well, some I've just removed uh, myself from the group. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in those text groups, wouldn't they be fine if it weren't for one or two people generally who just overdo it and talk too much in the group text? Well, that's also funny. It's you know one of the reasons why I just sort of had to leave Discord. Some people just <laughs> they're, don't realize they're taking they up all the air. Much. Yeah, I agree. There was a period where I was very much into text group chat things, but I'm just not into it anymore. Or any of the apps, the telegrams, the I've never used WhatsApp <laughs> or cacao. Anyway, uh, long story, uh, much to do about nothing. But I think in the next few months, I'm probably going to adopt one of those light phones. And surely I will be complaining about how <laughs> crappy my life is <laughs> because I don't have access. All right, let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We got a recap, huh? We got a recap of Dinner Time Live with Seth Rogen and Ike Barinholtz. It was a doozy. It was a doozy of an episode. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, <laughs> maybe the craziest thing I've ever seen. I just can't stress enough how hard it is to make this show. Not that we're going to get any sympathy. Because if I'm sure, if I was 10 years younger, I'm, I'm sure I'd be talking shit about it as well. But it's, it's extremely difficult to do. The cooking, the talking. The hosting, the timekeeping also very difficult. But this one, I feel like we're getting better. Uh, each week is a little bit different. And this week, Seth requested fried chicken. And to be honest, I was thinking about fried chicken for our episode six guest, but we had to reorganize and replan. And we just decided to make it a high-low caviar episode. And thank you to Ian of Regalis, Regalis Foods. He was generous enough to send us some other caviar so we could test out do a rehearsal. So in a span of 48 hours from Monday and Tuesday, I served over four pounds. You served five pounds of a caviar. (laughs) 
Oh, five, five, five pounds. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's, you know, he's got a note here in the document of like, what are the things that the audience is missing out on that they should know? And and we're trying to remedy this, and we're trying to we're trying to figure out the best way of demonstrating this. We've talked about it, but like the thing I wish people could see is Dave doesn't let me help him in there at all. He doesn't let anybody help him. He preps. He comes in in the morning and and is cooking straight through from the morning until through the show. And I, I mean, I think Dave, it's it's for you. It's because like you've said before, like if you don't do it yourself, and someone says, "Hey, what's in this?" or "How did you do this?" Like you can't lie about it. You can't just make up some nonsense. Like unless you did it yourself with your own hands, like you don't have that at your fingertips to talk about the food and and how it was made and why it's special and all of and all of that like i think you know i don't know if that's coming across in the show i hope it is like that's the part i wish people could really see i also <laughs> really wish they could see just how close you have come on several occasions to burning the whole kitchen down <laughs> i don't know if that has come across yet either but those are things i wish people could see it's true but um i will say that what i made yesterday yeah, tomorrow's pretty, pretty good <laughs> tomorrow's show pretty pretty, pretty they will have good. lots of cooking and it will have a certain degree of spectacle for sure. Oh my god! I brought it home. My family <laughs> they were into it. Yeah, I brought I Where's brought home family? a big uh, piece of this thing that Dave made, and all I said to my wife was like, "I'm bringing food home." <laughs> I like plopped this thing down on the table, and they're like, "Because my sister in law is here too," and they were just like, "Okay, well, if you'd given us a thousand years to guess what you meant when you said you were bringing food home, we never would have guessed this thing." They, they, you know what was crazy is they ate almost all of this gigantic thing. It was insane. Yeah. And also, let me just state, without doing any research, I can state unequivocally that this has never <laughs> been made in the history of humanity. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I think that the, I think you can say that pretty uh, confidently. No one has made this exact this thing. Confidently. And it, the irony that I'm going to make something that is going to be a, a real mm. love letter to mm. another culture's it's cuisine. a real love letter. True love. <laughs> True love. I don't know if it's ever going to... Here's the thing. I made everything from hand by scratch, and I just don't know if I'd ever be able to make it again and make it that tasty. It just, unfortunately... It was it was miraculous. You also just I mean you started the day pretty happy with this thing, and I think that um, without giving away too much about that episode, this this forthcoming episode, you know, you came in yesterday and you were like, "I'm going to make this in two hours," and it was eight straight hours of cooking, eight uninterrupted hours of cooking. It took me this this thing took me eight hours straight. (laughs) So many components, and and I was so many components. And all by and hand, like six everything and a half by hours hand. in, you were about as miserable as I've seen you. <laughs> Just very sweating unhappy. profusely. That's the most I've most Just I've ever sweated in the kitchen unhappy. at Major Double Media Studios. Getting that done, but everything came out pretty good. Um, I would say, just to recap, episode one was so surreal. I think Rashida Jones sort of set the bar and made it about the food and Steve and Steve Young. It was just awesome to have them. And I, I, I think they were the best yeah. guests to sort of launch the show. It made it comfortable for me. The one thing that people may not understand is how difficult it is for me. I know not, I've been saying it's difficult. I get that. Not trying to be redundant more than usual, but the top of the show was very difficult for the first three episodes and i after the first episode i was saying very very loudly i'd like to change the pace and you know we're we're trying to follow the rules of traditional live tv right so uh, a lot of the beats were be in this position use the camera angle here and stir and do all these things and i'm like wait like nobody told me this before so the first episode right before i aired it was like don't say fuck and don't say these things. Don't reveal the names of this, this, and this about, you know, people, they're, they're, you know, Rashida and Steve's kids and that I'm friends with or, you know, Hugo's friends with. So it's hard for me not to think about these things in a normal way. And just the entire way we filmed that first sort of two, three minutes was different than what we had planned before. And it was a lot because it's the first episode. I have to relay what the show is about, what we're doing. No commercials, no take backs. Also, this is the menu. This is going to be about a whole chicken three ways. I made a, a, what did I make? Oh, this is a minestrone from the bones. I've now boned it out. I'm putting out the chicken and I made a sauce 
that I'm turning into vinaigrettes and I'm also making a sauce on the bones and then I'm doing the gnocchi. It's just like explaining all of that and to do that quickly, it's not in my skill set. It's so much to talk about. Also, my entire time, I'm like, I have to cook. I have to cook. I have so much to fucking cook. I have to cook. So it was stressing the hell out of me. And the second episode with uh, Paul Shear and Eliza Schlesinger, that was super difficult because we have notes about what we wanted to improve on the first episode. And the beginning of that episode changed a little bit. And I think I sort of short-circuited about what I had to say because it was just too much, right? Now it was talk to the camera here, move over here, stir here, and then go live, 54321. Welcome to the day. It just was a lot. And honestly, I blacked out. I don't even know what the hell happened. And I think it evened out as, as the show went on. I think the hard part was trying to find a balance where we're talking making the food, talking about the food, eating the food, and having conversation with Eliza and Paul. And it's it's hard because I know they watched the first episode, so they had an idea and cadence of what they wanted to do. And as funny as it was, it was hard to actually, for Chris to talk at all, it was hard for me to find some kind of rhythm, but it was still a great episode. I think the third episode I thought was going to be the easiest because they're my friend, like close friends, Paul, uh, Nick Kroll, and, and, and John Mulaney, and they're so funny. And I got to say that I think it was really hard because if you look at that opening, and I don't remember because before I was told, oh, there's so many people that are there that day and they're all trying to help. And again, they're going by the rules of traditional live TV. And I had to state after the show that like we're playing someone else's game. We got to find our rules that work for us. We, if we continue to play someone else's game, we're going to lose. And I just remember we were sitting down talking and having like a friendly conversation. That's sort of what I always wanted. And it's something that Steve Young told me because we live close by and when he's over for dinner, it's just the hang and just the chat. And I think we were missing that hang component and making making it come naturally as best we could. And while we're hanging and chatting and laughing, right when the music goes on and it's 54321, it's live. And then I have to go, welcome to Dinner Time Live. I'm your host, Dave Chake. I'm not that person. And it just switched the whole mood change for like 10 minutes. So it took 10 minutes to recalibrate to find our rhythm because I remember looking at their eyes and they were like, right. what right. the fuck? Who is this guy? This is so weird. Yeah. Because our roles reversed. Usually they're the ones that are introducing a crowd and I'm not. That's not my job. They're the MC. So it was very weird. And then, you know, we found our footing and, and, and we got a rhythm, we found a new gear. And then episode four with uh, Terry Crews, the Valentine's Day special and Fortune Feimster. Feimster. I had such a fortune Feimster. I was having such a hard time still to this day, for whatever reason, pronouncing her name. There was a lot of cooking, more cooking in the moment than other episodes. And when I say in the moment, there's all the cooking that's happening. I'm doing all the prep myself. And a lot of things I have to be timed in terms of what I anticipate the conversation to be and the next course and the plating and the eating. It's a lot. That was awesome. I thought that was, we had, the reason that, I feel that episode was different is I convinced everyone to sort of listen to my idea of like, I don't know if it's going to work, but can we just sort of sit people down at 3.30, 3.45 and they're already already eating a course or two. And then the cameras come in and we can explain, Chris, and we have video, we, we're, we're recording all the other stuff beforehand and we can show that film footage later, but I'm more concerned about setting the mood and the ambiance and, and letting it feel natural. So it was the first time where I fed them. I don't remember what I fed them first. Oh, they were eating Bing bread with, with butter and ham and, and a few other things. And they were just noshing on that, drinking, and we're talking. And I didn't have to say, welcome to Dinner Time Live. It was, it was like, okay, five, four, three, two, one. Hey, guys, we're live. And it was great. It was much more natural. It was easier for me because I'm not a, an MC stand-up person. So I felt that was an unlock for us. And then we took some more notes from Netflix and the team and we sort of channel that into the the ike and seth episode of episode five and i think that was it worked really well it worked really really well and i think it's a combination of me getting more comfortable uh the direction getting better so we're not just shooting people back at people's heads and um planning the food out so i think last episode was clearly not really relatable or applicable we understand that we're going to get back to that on episode six for sure it's been a journey yeah I, sure. I think i think that that's right and, and i'm happy that it's been a journey i'm happy that it hasn't been a stationary thing where we have just like 
okay, we, we're this is the format. We're locked into it, and we're just going to do it. And it, it feels it feels like a living, breathing thing. It still feels harrowing every time we go live because who knows what's going to happen. Um, and that's what you know. I think if you go back and listen to one of the episodes we did of the podcast right at the beginning, like that's what you know your sort of stated goal was. That's what Jared and Brandon uh, on the team and everybody here talked about, and Sahara and everything was like this thing should feel different in episode five and six than it felt in episode one. And if it doesn't, then we have failed. And I know there's people who, who want, you know, every, we can't, we're trying to satisfy everybody, right? Some people are just there to hear Seth and Ike and be hilarious and, and watch them eat this massive mountain of caviar. And there are other people who are like, I want to know exactly the gram measurements that went into that onion soubis. And, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to give everybody um, what they want, but, that's that's the part that I feel like we're still trying to um, zero in on. And it doesn't help that a lot of times I'm making these recipes. I'm not following a book. You know, it's all sort of off the cuff. And oftentimes, when, like, for example, when I made whatever I, I can't talk about for episode six, I told Chris, I was like, I hope you guys were writing down whatever I did because I have no idea what the hell yeah. I did. <laughs> if that makes any sense. As frustrating as it is. Anyway, enough about that. Let's Let's move on. Take a break. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. We got an Ask Dave. What do we got here, you know? All right. It's time for an Ask Dave. Remember, you can always send us your questions to AskDave at MajordomoMedia.com or our Discord users can just tag at you know with questions and he'll be sure to read them for a chance to be featured on the show. All right. So, Bennu tips. This is from the Discord. I booked some seats at Bennu for me, my brother and his wife in March. Any tips for maximizing the experience? Also, should I bring in something for the kitchen staff? A case of beer, homemade batch of cookies. What's the general etiquette for trying to bribe? I mean, sending appreciation to the kitchen staff. Well, it's it's very thoughtful. I think in terms of enhancing your experience, number one, you should probably buy the Bennu cookbook where yours truly wrote the foreword. It's probably the best part of the cookbook. And it goes downhill after that. It really does. Especially Thomas Keller's whatever he writes, just pass over that. You should buy the Benno cookbook, which is beautiful. But again, the prose uh. from my foreword is really the, the pinnacle of the book. It's true. The rest, the rest is just nonsense. You should actually just go and rip out those pages and re- take them home. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you should familiarize yourself with what Corey Corey's food philosophy is and what he does, right? It is certainly going to be not like any food uh, point of view you've probably ever had. Um, He's as well-versed in cooking French cuisine and cuisines of the world as anybody in the world. Um, And also his interpretation of Korean food, which is really, I say, more Chinese food. It's more Chinese food with the Korean influence sometimes because we know that Corey's you know, in awe of Chinese food. And it's not that we're not in awe of Korean food, but it's a little bit different. There's nothing like it. I think the understanding some of the dishes and knowing some of the dishes that you might get are important because every dish has a story. And Benu's not one of those restaurants where they're going to tell you the, this is this, is this and this is that. It's you're, you're going to have to have some understanding. And I think not all super high-end dining, you need to have some uh, a priori knowledge of it, you know, but you, you do need to have some knowledge if you want to have a truly enhanced experience, right? You don't have to, and you can still have a great time if you just go and eat it. But if you're going there and you really want to have an elevated experience where you're getting into the sort of the shoes uh, of, of what Corey and the team are doing, you should do your homework. I'm not familiar with exactly what's on the menu, but I do know from Corey's Instagram feed, there are some really annoying dishes that he's put on. They're annoying because they're they're just so good. smart and technically it, it, like sound. The, the the one thing I disagree with this question, Dave, and maybe maybe it's because it's Corey and because it's Benu and because I know, and I don't want to speak for that kitchen, but I also feel like you're not going to, there's nothing you're going to do. Corey and Benu have thought about the whole experience and they have thought about how they want to present it and they're going to do it their way. And I don't think there's any like case of beer or cookies that are going to like he he's he's a very appreciative very respectful person but like he's like sending that to the kitchen is not going to 
gain you anything. And I don't think that like, I don't love that idea of like trying to bribe or gain something, a like game, the system. You want to be treated like super, super well at Bennu. Unfortunately, what you have to do is like eat at Bennu a lot. <laughs> it's like, that's the only, that's the only way. That's how you earn that kitchen's respect is to eat there a lot. It's like anything in, in this world that's a, a luxury. You can't just walk into a store of any store and be like, that's, uh, <laughs> exactly. I want that. It's not going to happen. And like, it's uh, the, the buying a kitchen gift move. I don't know if you agree with this, Dave. It's kind of a move for industry people to do with other industry people. And this is like... And if you are an industry person, you would know <laughs> yeah. the answer to it's this like, question. It's like buying a jersey at the fan store and then trying to get on the field at a baseball game. <laughs> sort of like, I, I mean, a little bit to me. And listen, I, I know it's a, you're going to have a great experience. It will be enhanced if you do some homework. And I'll say, for example, we'll just talk about this and we're going long and we're recording two today uh, because our schedules are totally <laughs> fucked because of this Netflix show. <laughs> but the one thing that's been a constant on this menu has been his century quail egg. And here's, here's the deal. This is how you can take two, two roads here. One road, you can eat it, be like, huh, I don't know what that is. I've never had that before. Tastes okay. I like it. You could also taste it and be like, Ugh, I don't like it at all, right? So that's one end, and that's two doors that people can take. On the other end, it's, so again, two doors. One is, I hate century egg, but my God, it's pretty genius. I still don't like this, but it's genius. The last door is, I love century egg, and this is the most exquisite version of a century egg I've ever had. That's it. I think they're fully aware of all, all four of those, those options. If you think about that, this is a restaurant that people have saved money that are trying to either are gourmands or trying to understand like what's one of the best restaurants in the world, right? They, they got a reservation and they want to experience. I cannot tell you the, for lack of a better term, massive cojones, huge balls to start off a meal, any meal, let alone a meal at Bennu with his, his interpretation of a century egg. Mm-hmm. Pidan, right? In Chinese. It's sulfurous. It's got this weird gelatin-like texture. It's pungent. It's, it looks like it came out of an alien, fun, right? Yeah, yeah. It's to start you. You when you think about a high high level meal, couture meal, you're thinking about something that's a beautiful amuse bouche that awakens the the senses and the buds and your taste buds, and it's salty, fruity, citrusy, whatever. It's vibrant. It, most importantly, it tastes delicious to everybody. You're thinking that I'm, I'm going to have a, a bite of food that's going to be universally loved by everybody. It's also interesting that you think about Corey, who spent many years as the chef de cuisine at Per Se, uh, French Laundry. How many cornets of salmon, how many quail eggs he's cooked on a spoon, et cetera, et cetera. Many. So he understands. If anyone knows how to make a universally beloved first bite of food it's Corey, and this is the one dish that i think has remained unchanged in the 10 plus years that ben has been in existence is this century quail egg and it is much lighter it is much more muted in its sulfur and its pungency it's mild compared to a, a full-on real century egg but think about that he knows full well that 25 percent of the people that eat this might hate it another 50 percent might fucking love it right it's 50 percent love it or hate it either way in terms of the doors right that's a that's like a hell of a fucking gambit to pull off right off the bat. So that's a good idea, a, a good, uh, I think, primer on understanding all the dishes. And all the thought that goes into each dish is very similar to what I'm talking about. You will have a different appreciation of, of what's happening, right? I always give the example of like when Harry met Sally. I, I thought it was funny, I guess, when I was 13 years old. Funnier when I was 20. Really funny when I'm 25. Super funny when I'm 35 because I understand everything. Now I'm way older than those characters. <laughs> it's not funny at all. Fair. And, and if you put that into consideration, that's the kind of homework that I hope you put into it so you can get the most out of that meal, right? You might have some things that are challenging, but they're challenging for a reason. And that's what I think you should do to prepare for your meal with Ben. Yeah. Yeah, well said. All right. All right. And yeah, don't. You can buy candy, you can buy things like that, but I would suggest that the best thing you can do is just to come back as many times as you can. But, you know, you don't have to buy the kitchen They're, anything. Yeah. That's really yeah. The, for The cooks. kitchen is prepared to give you the, their A game, whether or not you buy them a case of beer. Like, they are going to show you what they can do. All right, let's take a break. Let's do a quick how to menu. Let's do whole box in L.A. 
You know what's what's the what is the game again? It's time for a game of how to menu the game where we take a menu and develop an ordering strategy at some of the nation's noteworthy restaurants. To keep this one simple, the winner will be chosen by the production team. Today, that's me. For a copy of the menu and the location of the restaurants we play on this game, check out the Major Domo Media Discord where you'll find it in the DCS Pod Talk channel. All right, so we'll do Whole Box, a Yucatan style seafood specialist in Los Angeles, located near the University of Southern California. Uh. Yay! <laughs> All right, so your budget is $135 for four people. Let's see what you got. $135? 135 bucks? $135 before tax tip for four people. Oh, man. All right, so I mean, let's take a break to do it, but really quick, I'll just do a quick menu overview of how this is broken down. So it's a cold section and a hot section. The cold is ceviches, cocktails, and aguachiles, live oysters, clams, and urchins. That's the cold section. The hot, you have a section of six tacos, and then six entrees, and then one dessert. So this is obviously a dine-in situation. We're talking about $135, not including any beverage, and not including tax or tip. We're just talking about $135 in food orders off the menu. Correct. Also, heads up, guys, the biggest lobster that I've seen there is about three pounds, I think. They all tend to be small. The uh, langostas tend to be less than three pounds. I'm going to win this, fucker. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to win. Okay. I'm prepared to lose. <laughs> first or second, Dave? I'll go first. So whole box, highly, highly lauded Mexican, would you call it a cevicheria? Like a mariscos? I think ceviche is part of what they do. Yeah, but it's mostly seafood. Yeah. But seafood and whole box, if you don't know, is actually, I don't know. I've never been. I've been wanting to plan a trip there, but it's more of an island near, not near Tulum. It's about an hour outside, I believe, Tulum. I just know that's where a big tarpon live. There's a famous guide called Sandflea that you can hire to help get some of the best, biggest tarpon. <laughs> not that anyone cares, but it's certainly seafood oriented for sure. I will say that no no, no other than our, our episode five guest, Seth Rogen, has uh, really raved about whole box himself hmm. and he loves that place and i've heard many people say the same you know would you agree that this is a fantastic restaurant yes i'm i i really have to go in fact i don't know why i haven't because i love this style of food so much so i'm going to go straight off the bat huge fan of ceviche i'm going with a lot of ceviches to start i'm going to go with the mixto so that allows me to sort of get a little bit of everything i'm going to get it the scallop ceviche i'm going to get the smoked compachi tostada 14 bucks I'm also going to get the Kampachi and Uni Tostada for 12 bucks, and the Costal Mixto with octopus, shrimp, and scallops, a sweet and sour sauce for 18 bucks. Then I'm going to get the Pata de Mula Baja, California, blood clams with the smoky morita sauce. Then I'm going to get four orders of the Baja Shrimp Taco and one order of the Taco de Pescado. And the only one order is because it gets me to, I only have that enough money to order one thing left for four people. And I want to see who, who gets that last taco. <laughs> Out of the five, right? Because again, it's it's clear that whoever gets that last taco, whoever gets it first or was granted, you should have it, is the worst friend of the group. <laughs> That's the big piece of crab. I appreciate that. What's your total there? Mm. 134. 134. Okay. I am going to also, I'm, 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 I'm going to lean heavy into the cold section. That's sort of my play. I think Dave was sort of similarly there. I... Of of the various ceviches, I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with the ceviche de pescado. I like if I like what happens with fish and ceviche more than I like what happens with the other things. I'm skipping the tostadas because I find them unshareable. I think it's really hard to share a tostada, and I hate watching people try to cut a hard shelled tostada into four pieces. It's one of the things. It's like nails on a chalkboard for me. So I'm skipping tostadas. I'm going ceviche de pescado. I like the sort of sweet tomatoey cocktail but i don't like it when it's just when it's just shrimp so i'm going to go with a cocktail mixto with shrimp octopus and and base scallops i love these these chocolate clams these blood blood clams so i'm going to go with when i so whenever i've been to baja i've had these like these chocolate clams and i've had these blood clams they're like they're nothing to be not for the squeamish the blood clam looks like you crack it open and it is like swimming in a pool of dark red blood, but I love them. So I'm also going to do a full order of those. Another thing I really like about Mexican, like seafood in Mexico and something that you don't really see ever up here is like a smoked fish tacos. And I wanted that smoked compachi tostada, but it's not shareable. And I love like smoked Marlin tacos in Baja and things like that. So I'm going to do four smoked compachi tacos 
And then I'm, I I hate sharing lobster. I think if you eat lobster, everybody gets their own. I, I hate watching people try to share a lobster and jostle for whatever, regardless of the size. I don't like sharing a lobster. I think the joy of a lobster is eating a whole goddamn thing by yourself. So I'm skipping the lobster, and I'm just going to do one hot thing from here, and it's going to be a uh, Mexican chupino. <laughs> Sopa de mariscos is my, is my last shared thing. It's just like a nice uh, filling hot soup at the end that's my 134 dollars i think 134 nice chris damn okay so two things you guys avoided the traps the lobster was a trap clearly all right and the other one was the uh there's another like showpiece dish here i'm glad you guys avoided the tostadas as well because it's kind of a he ordered two of them no i ordered ordered one oh two that's why two i ordered two because you can split one Mm. tostada you can definitely split one tostada. Yeah. No, I think as Chris is explaining his logic, I'm like, dude, it's tracking. But the tostadas were, were also kind of a trap. I was like, he's totally right about the tostadas. Has you, have you not ever a split a tostada delicious. evenly in half? It's always there's well, one that's big why, one, one small that's piece. That's why he likes like, it, because he <laughs> has never, having shared tostadas with this guy, he has never split a tostada half evenly. I will tell you that right now. That's the thing. It's like who gets the big it's piece? Up, man. Oh, you get the you get the big piece because you're such a good friend. Yeah, not buying it. Chris takes that round. That was a really good menu, Chris. I like that. Very good, shareable, just yes. good time all around. Yeah, congratulations, Chris. Well, we're we're running long, so Chris won this week. Put one in the win <laughs> column. My God. All right, folks, we're gonna record another pod after this. Uh, yes, if you're wondering, we're trying to bank podcast because we're so busy making this ep- uh, this this show for Netflix, which very well may be our last episode ever. So we'll have more time to do podcast. But in the meantime, uh, thank you for checking us out. Make sure to check in to. Dinner Time Live tomorrow, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Netflix. And again, Chrissy and Dave dine out on our, we've been called Polyamorous for our streaming service. Polystreamers. Our good friend Chrissy Teigen and I with Joel Kim Booster eating at some of the best restaurants in Los Angeles. We are, uh, our next episode is available to stream out on Hulu now. Give us five stars. 